Welcome to the Apollo Leaguers series, a podcast that helps you learn from those who have become directly involved with the exciting businesses in their early growth stage listed on the Apollo League. Handing you over to the host, Simon Ward. Good morning, Andrew. Um, welcome, Andrew Stoner, um, to Apollo League's podcasts uh, in relation to successful candidate placements. It's fantastic to talk to you. Uh, thanks, Simon. Uh, pleasure to join you. So you're one of the more interesting people that we've met in the last um, few months at, at Apollo. And what I, what I wanted to do was um, cover off a little bit about your background and experience. So you've just successfully negotiated a placement as a, as a non-exec director in Mosaic Play, one of Apollo's best customers, and congratulations on that. Um, but tell us a bit about uh, yourself because you're a you know, an ex-politician slash businessman, and we don't come across too many of those in, in our business. So we'd love to hear a bit today about who you are and where you've come from and, you know, your journey through politics and then how that's led you into the into the business community. Well, uh, Simon, I, uh, as you say, you know, I do have experience in uh, both areas um, in business, um, both prior to and post-politics. Um, and, you know, a 16-year stint in politics in the middle. Um, before I went into politics, um, I'd uh, obtained the qualifications of a Bachelor of Business and an MBA. So, you know, business, um, economics, uh, all of this was, uh, was really my bent. Um, when I was in politics, I kind of sought those economic-related roles, uh, economic and business-related roles out. Um, my simple theory was that, you know, governments would, would do well um, if they focused on the economy. Um, if you've got a strong economy, there's going to be plenty of revenues flowing into a government and then you can do all the things that a government should do. So um, really that was, that was the, uh, uh, my philosophy and uh, why I sought um, the role of a Minister for Trade and Investment, a Minister for um, Tourism and major events, uh, minister for small business. Um, so I guess I was the the, the proactive minister in the uh, government between the years of um, 2011 and 2015, um, with a fair bit of international bent as well. You know, a bit of export income helps grow jobs, uh, and that helps grow the economy as well. So, uh, yeah, um, not too many politicians have got the depth uh, in business. And I guess not too many business people have got the depth in, in politics. How do you think the How do you think the Australian uh, state and federal governments have gone in relation to you know fostering emerging business in you know in this country? And what do you see as some of the challenges that the ecosystem is facing there? Well, I think Simon, there's uh, plenty of room for improvement. Um, at least at least this area is on the radar. Of both governments, um, when I was minister for trade and investment, etc., um, we did have some programs uh, aimed at, um, you know, doing things like um, uh, stimulating collaboration, uh, giving some financial incentives, uh, sponsoring workspaces, uh, connecting people with markets, etc. Um, so there are some things being done. Uh, I, I do think, uh, you know, in the area of venture capital, we could improve a lot 
in Australia. We, you know, we've seen so many great ideas um, have ended up being exported because, um, you know, in industry and, and finance in Australia um, seems a little risk averse. Uh, whereas in, for example, North America, um, you know, the, the, the VC uh, community, if you like, um, are always looking for a great opportunity and, and they kind of figure that, you know, if, if they hit gold, um, say, two or three out of ten times, they're still well ahead uh, because the returns are spectacular. So I think, you know, governments here could do a little more in the sense of um, fostering that culture. Uh, you know, they've tried with a couple of programs, but, you know, the finance industry <laughs> quite often finds a way around it and they call things venture capital that are not really uh, venture capital in, in terms of that broader uh, definition. So, yeah, a little bit being done, but I think uh, a bit more can be done here in Australia. You mentioned the cultural side, and I, I couldn't agree more with that because, you know, I remember the way I was raised, which was, you know, work hard at school so you can get into a good uni, work hard at uni so that you can get a job. As soon as you get a job, settle down and get married and, you know, borrow a hell of a lot of money um, to buy a, probably an overpriced house. That's not a lot of there's not a lot of wealth left over for a lot of young Australians to uh, to invest. So that sort of puts the spotlight for me on on the older generations. Which you know, if you look at you know Australia's superannuation, it's cash superannuation wealth. Fifty percent of it is is in that baby boomer demographic still. So this idea of um, uh, of getting perhaps older Australians more involved in emerging businesses. Um, do you think there's room? And scope for that, and I guess that feeds into this sort of topic uh, a little bit around what what Apollo League is trying to do, because I see that as an area where you know there's tremendous opportunity. Oh, hundred uh, percent, Simon. Um, you know, I think uh, these days there's, there's a lot more money in um, self managed superannuation funds. Um, you know, if if there is some uh, level of uh, education, I guess about um, you know, early stage company opportunities, um, the sorts of things to look for to minimise uh, the risk dimension um, to both those SMSF holders and uh, some of the larger superannuation fund managers, um, that, that might go a long way to freeing up some of this enormous pool of, of wealth that's uh, in the Australian uh, superannuation um, area. It's, it's the third largest pool of funds under management in the world, I understand. Um, so, you know, even a small proportion, if it was steered towards, um, uh, towards, uh, as I say, early stage and growth companies uh, with a dimension of education so that people are not scared, you know, they're not risk averse, they're doing their DD and they're backing uh, things that they think are winners um, again, you know, my example about uh, in North America, if, if, if you backed um, two or three out of 10, you're still going to be well ahead of the curve probably. So um, that's a kind of mindset shift that um, would be a really positive thing in the, in the superannuation arena. And I guess that leads on into a discussion around what do you look for? Because you, you've found a business here in Mosaic Play that um, it's an international business. Your portfolio included international trade when you were minister. Um, it's also, you know, in the education and student recruitment space. Um, but 
aside from, I guess, the fit, the fit aspects, what I'd like to hear thoughts on that. How, how did, what, you know, what was your sort of methodology? How did you sort of look at this uh, challenge and then, you know, arrive at a decision that this was the right one for you? Well, I guess, Simon, I was at a bit of an advantage in that um, one of my other board roles is on a, a large international education uh, company um, doing things more the traditional way, which has been, you know, affected pretty adversely by um, COVID. Um, and when I saw Mosaic play, I thought, well, wow, these guys are doing something completely different. You know, it's out of the box. It's it's actually um, not exposed uh, to great risk uh, in terms of, of COVID. Um, it's it's utilising the latest technologies. It's uh, in an area that um, there are very few competitors. It is operating on a global scale. It's it's quite specialised in in terms of its its uh, uh, remit within the creative industries, um, and hence this all translated to to a competitive advantage uh, in that sector, in, in my view. Um, additionally, you know we we, we had some uh, data about revenues. Um, definitely on a growth trajectory, the money starting to pour in, the the, the forward um, uh, agreements in terms of enrolments, uh, the contracts with the major uh, institutions, educational institutions globally, uh, all the hard work had really been done and, um, you know, we were really moving into a growth phase uh, in terms of operations and revenue. Uh, the other thing I looked at was, you know, the depth of management, um, the CEO, uh, very significant experience in the international education sector. Uh, the other people on the board um, have backed winners um, in terms of, of early stage and VC companies. Uh, this was something they loved doing. Um, they had some skin in the game. So, um, you know, the, it's, it's, it's not all altruistic. Uh, a lot of it probably is, but, you know, they're, they're taking a stake uh, in the success of this company. So, Having ticked all of those boxes, I thought, well, you know, that's that's a, a pretty good bet, um, and uh, you know, I, I was I was keen to then not only be involved in the in the strategic management of the company through the board, but to also um, have a stake in the company myself. Yeah, so this is this is interesting. Um, so a couple of things I'd take out of that were, were one, avoid startups, you know, pre-revenue businesses, or you know pre-product businesses um, or be very careful around them because they are immensely challenging projects and, you know, if you're going to dip your foot in in terms of becoming a shareholder, you can't be the, you can't be the only player in, in the mix. But I think also you started to open up this, this topic around the nexus between working in a business and helping it grow and being a shareholder of that business. Um, so, you know, how, how important... Is it if you are a shareholder or an investor in a business for you to have your hand on the tiller in some senses and a non-executive um, director? And on the other, you know, follow-on question to that, um, you know, what do you think of board structures in private companies where, you know, non-executives are not shareholders of the business? Is that a good thing? Okay. Right, yeah. Look, in terms of my involvement with Mosaic Play, you know, I see it as a really a two-way street um, 
in in one sense, you know, me having involvement in the the strategic directions and, and management of the company um, minimizes the uh, risk to my personal investment in the company. Um, you know, uh, you don't want to leave these things to chance if if you've got a substantial stake in in a business. You know, you would want to have some involvement uh, in the direction and the operation, uh, not at a detail level, but, you know, as I say, more a strategic level. Uh, You'd want to have that involvement uh, in that business. But, you know, the flip side is that, uh, you know, if a director wants to be be involved with that company, if if they want a role as a non-executive director, I think it's a fair thing for them to back the company, to put their money where their mouth is, and help that company to grow. So really a two-way street for me. Um, my investment will help Mosaic in, on its growth path and uh, my involvement will um, help to uh, keep a weather eye on my investment. So so both ways, and, and I think that's understood um, uh, by the CEO and founder and the other board members and myself, you know, and, and it works. Uh, I don't see any conflict there at all. And in fact, if you look at um, a lot of large, uh, including listed companies, um, in in the great majority of cases, uh, the uh, the members of the board do have an investment, uh, own shares in that company. Um, obviously, it's it's one of the notifications that has to be made on the ASX. So you'd see it all the time, you know, that they're they're buying more shares or they're selling some shares or or what have you. So yeah, I think it's I think it's uh, I guess uh, uh, standard, maybe not standard, but um, well accepted practice here in Australia that um, that directors um, would have um, not only involvement in running companies, but would also have a personal stake in those companies. Excellent, thanks for that. And in terms of um, you know the mosaic opportunity, the other thing that you know, it's a very direct question, but the role of a director sitting on a board in a scale-up, you know, should it be an unpaid role or a paid role? I'm very much of the view that it should be a paid role. I don't believe that board members should work on an unpaid basis in a for-profit business. Do you agree with that or or disagree? Look, I I, I do agree, Simon. Um, I do have a couple of roles with, with much earlier stage companies than Mosaic, uh, where I'm not being paid any director's fees. I have been given shares rather than me having to invest. Mm-hmm. So there is a, bit, a quid pro quo, if you like, uh, with those companies, but there's no director's fees um, per se. Uh, those those very early stage companies have a fairly long gestation uh, period and they also have a, a pretty high failure rate. So um, it's not something I like to do too often. And, again, I try and try and pick winners um, if I'm asked, uh, and you know, I've got involvement with a couple that you know are, are very promising. You know, they've got patents, um, uh, and and things are starting to happen, but there's been no revenue, and I think it's appropriate that I I not I not uh, draw fees from from those companies which are already struggling financially, trying to raise capital and so on. Um, but also appropriate that you know I, I be compensated for my input by way of um, being given some shares in those companies. Um, once a company, you know, gets over that initial hump and um, 
you know, the contracts are signed and the revenue starts to flow, uh, I, I think, yeah, if a director is going to put in their time, um, often their networks, this is one of the things I do with Mosaic is I, I try and connect um, the CEO with, uh, with, with people who can help one way or the other. Um, and also their, their experience and qualifications, you know, it's a substantial input. And, uh, and if, if, the, uh, if the finances of the company um, are such that, uh, uh, that um, expenses can be paid, that's one of the expenses that should be paid. Fair enough, completely fair enough. And I guess the other thing is, is this, this um, topic, topic that people seem to be talking a lot about, at, you know, at, at board level for scale-ups, and I call scale-ups businesses that are 1 million revenue plus and growing, is how active board members or advisory board members are, but, uh, you know, are, are actually um, being with the founders of these businesses. So someone like Gabriel Providell, how often do you speak to him? What are the kinds of things that you help him with um, on, a, on a more regular basis in between board meetings, for example? I think with um, Gabriel, we'd, we would communicate um, probably on a weekly basis um, more on a needs basis rather than a, a scheduled thing. Uh, we do have monthly board meetings and the sorts of things that um, Gabe and I are talking about is generally where I'm able to um, get, you know, again, help help connect him uh, to other people who can assist. It, it may be a, a collaboration with another education-related business or it may be with somebody in government who who is able to support the business in one way or the other, um, or you know he he may be just um, picking my brains for advice. Uh, recently asked asked me, which was great that he did ask um, for my opinion as to how I thought the board was going. Um, you know, because I've got a bit of board experience nowadays, and. Uh, I, I actually said, I think it's going great. You've got a really good mix of of uh, background, skills um, and personalities and not a lot of um, ego games going on in the board. You know, they're all very genuinely wanting to see the growth of this company. So that was the feedback that I gave him. But um, so those are the sorts of topics of, of conversation. I don't want to get involved in the day-to-day, uh, you know, which staff member wants to be recruited or or you know, um, signing a contract with a, a uh, an education provider that, that's that's Gabe's thing. Um, if if he asks, or if I've got a good thought, you know, I know somebody who might be available for a role. I'll I'll, um, I'll, I'll put that to him. But uh, I, d- I don't want to be a a micromanager in terms of the business. Um, but you know, with my with my strategic experience and my connections, if I can help, I will. Fantastic. I think that's that's a great answer. Um, well, look, you know, and I just guess the final question, Andrew, and thanks for your time today, is just this this concept, the Apollo League concept of connecting, you know, growing high quality growing businesses with with people like yourself. What do you think of it as a as a as an idea? Do you think it's there's a problem there that needs to be solved? Um, and how is the experience going through this process as a candidate? Firstly, Simon, I think. You know, there's definitely a need uh, in Australia. You know, we, we were talking earlier about uh, were governments doing a, a enough for, for growth in early stage companies. Um, 
the the issue with with venture capital or or, or lack thereof in Australia. So uh, Apollo League is is filling a a very important niche um, in this country, um, and there's definitely a need for it to bring people together, um, connect people, to make things happen. And you know, from my perspective, I, I found the process you know, very seamless. Um, quite informal, you know, let's have a chat, let's see if we like each other, um, not only me with Apollo League but me with uh, Mosaic Play, with with uh, the CEO and, and the other directors, et cetera. And it's really about, yeah, finding the, I think Apollo League's very good at finding the um, the piece of the jigsaw puzzle <laughs> to, uh, to to fit that that, that little hole in, in the puzzle to complete the picture. Um, that's what it's all about and this is where, uh, companies which have got you know great IP and and a lot of commitment and motivation um, and and you know good experience in the area that's the area that they really I think need a lot of help with they're so busy with you know growing their markets and and and, and trying to deliver the, the the solutions that they've developed uh, within that industry space um, they sometimes can't find the the piece of the puzzle that they need to complete the picture. And uh, Apollo League does that um, as as being, you know, one of those jigsaw puzzle pieces. Um, I found the fit was was great. You found the right piece um, and everybody's happy. Well, thanks for saying that. And I have to say, as uh, as the guy on the other end of the phone, it's not every day that, you, you know, you deal with a candidate whose referees are the former Premier of New South Wales and the former <laughs> Deputy Prime Minister of Australia. So that was also... Uh, a, a thrill for us. Um, well, look, I, that's all I have uh, for you today, Andrew. It's been an absolute privilege having you, um, you know, talk with us. And I think that hearing, you know, your answers to these questions, this is important info to get to other uh, companies that are, you know, perhaps wondering what the next step forward, having built something like Gabriel from Mosaic Players, having raised some money, having commercialised the business opportunity. You kind of feel like you've won the battle, but you've got a war ahead of you. And it's a uh, it's a it's a very much a stressful time for a lot of business owners. So uh, we just aim to be the good guys in that process. And thanks for your time today and thanks for your comments. My pleasure, Simon, and keep up the good work. Thanks. <laughs> Bye-bye, Andrew. Thank you for listening to another episode of Polo Leaguers. Be sure to tune in for our next Leaguer interview. And until then, keep on learning.